Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of club onto the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether that be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It's all on the table. I'm your temp host for now, Cynthia. Joining me is Rohan Patel, Stephanie Chuang, Joel Garcia, and our special guest who's picking the film this week, Natalia Owen. What's up, guys? How are you guys doing? Good. <laughs> We're at week seven of spring quarter. It is getting hot outside again. Um, I am going to sweat through this podcast recording. I like attempted to open my window before this podcast to like let out all the cold air into my room. But then I closed it because I'm embarrassed to let other people hear me talk outside my apartment. So we're doing that. How are you guys? Hey, you know. It's, it's a great conversation. They, they should be so honored as to hear, you know. As someone who like really dislikes the noise from my partying neighbors, both across from me and below me, I cannot, I've heard like, I can't be a hypocrite, can't be a hypocrite. So I've got to close yeah, that good window. Point. Good point. Honestly, better person. My my neighbor leaves it, lets their dog just poop all over like the back patio. So if, I, if they oh. hear me, screaming i feel no reward <laughs> for your dog <laughs> multiple times that's disgusting very disgusting stephanie natalia how about you guys feeling the weather <laughs> yeah it was pretty hot today i went out for a run and usually like i can make it through no problem but today it was i had to cut it short like halfway through it was just so hot i like oh. couldn't even breathe during the run <laughs> Oh no, I like, I have to run in the morning. I'm like running mm-hmm. at like 8 a.m. And that's like, it's like, okay, yeah. but not, it, yeah, it just got hot. I didn't even know <laughs> what to, I was like, it's like, it was like in between of like, it was hot to not wear long sleeves, but it was like kind of too cold to wear shorts. So you're just like, I don't know what the in-between is for this. What's the etiquette? Uh, <laughs> Uh, how about you, Stephanie? How are those potatoes? They're really, I know you guys are talking about taking runs and I'm here eating a bowl of french fries. You gotta eat, you know. <laughs> it was the rest of the bag. I couldn't, I didn't want to split it up again. What um, happened to those dumplings? I mean, I had dumplings today. They're for mm. lunch. But I'm, I'm mixing it up and I'm going to the oh. other parts of my freezer. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I've, I'm fine. I think my Cynthia and I got our second shots on Tuesday. Yeah. Yesterday. And so I think today afternoon, I actually like, I think it hit me. I don't know. I was really tired and I had a really big headache. See, but yesterday I, I felt fine. So it was weird. I don't know how, what, if I've ever, if I had the side effects or not, because I'm like hella jet lagged as well. So it was just like, I don't know if I'm just jet lagged. I like, right when we came back and it was like around after class, when I took the nap, I was like, is this jet lag? Is this like, I usually take a nap in the afternoon. So I was like, is this nap time? Or is it the, the vaccine? And you're yeah, just my, tired? Or like, I'm just kind of sleepy. I was, huh? oh, my arm is achy, but that's about it. Oh, yeah. I know. Like, it hurts the arm. But... It hurts so bad. The last time when I got my first one, like, I'm like a side sleeper. 
and I like oh, yeah, exclusively no. sleep on my left arm. So then the first dose, I was like, okay, I can suffer through the pain. Like it was bearable. Last night, I was just like, this is so unbearable that I had to actually change the side in which I slept. Yeah, I had the same problem where I was like, oh, I just can't sleep. Because like, usually I'm like, I'm like a little leaned over onto my left, you know? Mm-hmm. So like just for like the shot area it was. So yeah, it was like a turbulent like day and a half of soreness but yeah everybody get vaccinated it's yes liberating there's literally know? there was literally no one at ours for our, when we went for our second dose i mean it was early in the morning but still it was just like no one was there yeah there was no line it was kind of disheartening it definitely would be cool to see everybody like flocking to you know try and get their vaccine but you know like when people work at naruto run like area 51 we should do that for like every vaccine place in Washington. yeah exactly just yeah. like make naruto a huge run effect. to the vaccine <laughs> yes exactly it's like all all of us at the same time who is not vaccinated just run get it to like, your clinic you know exactly yeah your local ride aid Safeway, yeah. I don't know. Run to run to Lumen Field to get go watch yeah. the Seahawks. Actually, I think if you go to a Mariners game, they just have vaccine pop-up stands at really? Mariners games. Yeah. Really? Oh. I know they so, have vaccine yeah. sections, like the Sounders do as well. So um, yeah, I think the storm, the WNBA team, they're doing mm-hmm. that. I'm very excited to watch that the would WNBA be. game. Yes. Um, enough vaccine talk. Although it, it was positive vaccine talk, I would feel like, right? Yeah. Not yeah, not pessimism. Most definitely. Most you know, definitely. This is optimism. The world is coming back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to go watch a movie in a movie Hell, theater for once? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's Which excited. Is one for worth that. watching, you know? But I am hey. like hoping Minari and Nomadland overstay their welcome in a theater just so I can catch it in a theater. Yeah. <laughs> right. That would be great. I'm planning on watching Spiral this weekend, hopefully. I think Quiet Place comes out when I'm like fully inoculated. Yeah, it's out on the 28th. Yeah, so... But um, this movie that we're talking about today, see, look at that cool transition. I what a transition. Um, Seamless. <laughs> no, but movie we're talking about today, I don't think any of us were alive to see it in theaters. No. 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 Unless someone is very old and I didn't know that, which Ooh, we're still young. You yeah. look great. But yeah, Natalia, this is the film that you picked. So yep. why don't you give in a little introduction about Introduce it? Introduce it to us. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I'm you such a bad it? host. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I chose Rushmore, which is Wes Anderson's sophomore film after Bottle Rocket. Um, and I believe it was released in 1999. Eight. If I'm not wrong. I, 1998. Yeah, I just pulled that up. 98. Yeah, and it was co written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson and kind of a semi autobiographical film. But, you know, listens to still some kind of like fictitious elements, obviously. But I mean, it's my favorite Wes Anderson film. It's definitely in my top five films ever. And it's just a great movie. It's I would say it's probably in between a comedy and kind of a melancholic film a little bit like primarily a comedy. But I mean, the best way I could describe it would be it's a Wes Anderson film. (laughs) And then if you know what that is, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, I could go into the plot or do you want to kind of discuss it first? Let's start off with the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's about this boy named Max Fisher, and he's a student at kind of an elite prep school, kind of elite prep high school. And he's 
really outgoing in a sense that he is the president and founder of all these like extracurricular clubs. And he's just really ambitious about that aspect of the school of Rushmore. He's not academically kind of ahead of the game. He's <laughs> really jeopardizing his stay at Rushmore by, you know, kind of failing grades and falling behind in actual schoolwork. He kind of just focuses all his attention on extracurriculars. And then he kind of develops a friendship with this self-made billionaire, Bill Murray. And then there's kind of the developing relationships between him and another school teacher and the basic plot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's definitely not the most complex plot. I think when you talk about, or when people talk about Wes Anderson films, it's not necessarily for the narrative, it's more for the aesthetic and the tonality in which he's able to invoke. And I think, I don't know, I'm not a no Wes Anderson expert, like, I've seen two of his films, and one of them was for a previous podcast episode where I admitted again, like, I haven't seen it. And that was like two years ago. So I really didn't make any progress on Steve Zizou, right? Huh? Oh, Steve Zizou. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That one is like, I think is like very. It's not as grounded as Rushmore, but whoever's seen that, I don't know if you agree or disagree. So just out of curiosity, Natalia, why did you pick this film? I know you said it's one of your, could be one of your favorite films of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially it's for the narrative. I just think it has such a great grounded, but also still fantastical story. Like it's obviously within its own world, but I mean, the basic elements of the plot are just rooted in themes that are universal. And I think it's delivered in such a way where it's, you know, it's cutting, but since it's so comedic, it's kind of like a soft blow, you know? But yeah, and then the soundtrack, I mean, pretty much every element of the movie, but I think it's one of his best because it does combine those aesthetic pieces that he's, you know, really well known for. Like you have the symmetry and then you have kind of the very Wes Anderson soundtrack to back it up and really close up shots of the characters. But it has, it still has a really intricate plot, I think, because every character is still integral to the pop, to the plot. But it's just, I think it's his best, like, well, most well-rounded story that it just seems to carry itself throughout the hour and a half of the film. And it doesn't, it never, like, lags. It just seems to keep going. I watched, like, so I watched this, like, two days ago. And I watched, like, two other films for a class. And it was such a relief to not only, like, go through, because you're right, I, I agree with you in the sense, like, Rushmore feels like a breeze. It was so amazing to get there and be like, I'm only watching an hour and a half film and it felt like nothing. And then I was like, yeah. okay, cool. I now after like a day of watching two like contemplative slow movies, it was just really nice to watch that at the end of my day. How would everyone else? Rohan, I know you mentioned off pod that you're on like a Wes Anderson quest. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> the journey of a lifetime. Uh, I, I I liked it. I this is in my in my journey. I've realized that I'm not the bis- biggest Wes Anderson fan. I think this and Royal Tenenbaums are probably like the two that I think are like top tier Anderson and so far from what I've watched. I agree though. Like the the the, the biggest thing for me for like Wes Anderson is like you, you watch it for the aesthetic and like the the t- the tone. I agree, but like for me, like that's sort of a barrier. And like a lot of the films, like I think the reason I had such a hard time with Steve Zizou is it was like very separated reality, but also Mm -hmm. it also had that like barriers. I had a hard time kind of connecting to it, even though like it was really quirky and it still had like the symmetry and the colorful palette and everything. But yeah, I like Max Fisher. I kind of related to him. 
really not like really trying hard at everything like outside of school and just like thinking that it, it's funny because he's it's so he's so not serious like you can, it's hard to take him seriously even though he's like such a he takes himself so seriously but at the same time the audience can I think it's just a really great thing and it's made for a lot of it like really really like made to get to it yeah, there's this great like line he has. I think it's the second time he meets with Bill Murray's character. But when he's like driving in the car and he's there to pick up his kids and Max is like the whatever, like the pickup attendant or something. <laughs> and he Bill Murray asks him, he's like, what's the secret, Max? And then Max Fisher goes, well, I just think, you know, you got to find something that you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life, which on its own seems like such a like, oh, yeah, that's so, you know, so profound, so simple, like, obviously that's a tenant that everybody should live their life by and then the next thing he says is and for me that's Rushmore and then you're like you realize how ridiculous what he's saying is and how absurd you know of a character he is but he's so yeah good-hearted that you connect with him yeah. and I mean like he does everything in the film like when he yeah. said that line initially I'm just like but you're doing everything like there's not one thing that you're doing yeah. you're doing everything which is crazy yeah yeah definitely I was just gonna add like I love how in this film like they constantly like remind you that Max Fisher is like a 15 year old child I think it would be so easy to kind of stray into that like actually he's an adult and he's mature like an adult and we should treat him like adult an adult and like his love for like an older woman should be taken absolutely seriously and like the and Basically, like, I feel like a lot of films kind of fall into the teacher-student relationship trap, and it's just really disgusting and gross and just not not my cup of tea, and I hope it's not anyone else's cup of tea. <laughs> but I think what is so great about Rushmore is that it doesn't fall into that trap. The Olivia Williams character, the teacher, I forgot her name. Um, she Miss Cross. Miss yeah. Cross, Yeah. yeah. Who is like the attendant and the father? I just realized that the, the retirement homely. If you guys seen the father, I really like that. That was film. so weird. It's always in my mind right now. But yeah, just like her constantly telling Max Fisher, "You are a child. I like our relationship cannot be anything. Like I don't even want to think about that." And just constantly reminding like the audience that yeah, we can feel sympathy for this fifteen-year-old boy and ha- who has like a schoolboy crush on someone who's older, but at the same time that we shouldn't be thinking that it's okay for that to be reciprocated. We can feel sympathy, but also understand how not conducive a relationship like to actually take that seriously and don't give it like that adult lens like understand that it is from the lens of a child understand the complexities of a child and just kind of their desires and relate to that in a way but not relate to like it in a very serious way if that makes any sense yeah 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 totally it's like i think that's a lot of what i like about wes anderson's like character development is that like everybody's like equal in terms of like the validity of their emotions and whatnot and especially children like they're treated as people with valid emotions and valid feelings and even though it's irrational at points because they're not as experienced or whatever as an adult like they're still very much feeling real things and processing these things and i think yeah the way like he handles these characters provides that sort of agency but also while maintaining the fact that they're still a kid 
mm-hmm. but also maintaining the fact that they are a person who mm-hmm. like deserves to have that consideration as much as an adult would. And I think juxtaposing Max Fisher with the Bill Murray character. Oh my God. I just like can't remember people's names. Mr. Bloom. Yeah. Herman Bloom's character, yeah. I think is like a genius move in terms of showing that validity, like how these two people can connect, but at the same time, understanding that there's boundaries in all their relationships with each other. Kind of how like Herman Bloom, he is an adult, his childish tendencies, although we can sympathize with because it's kind of like out of an act of loneliness or self-hatred also is like not acceptable. Like you can't run over a child's bike. Like, so funny to me. Funny, ridiculous. I don't know that Herman, like the montage where Herman and Max are just going back and forth at each other. Yeah. I was like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. That was great. I mean, yeah, yeah, Natalia, you talked about it, how it kind of mixes kind of humor and melancholy really well. And I think that montage kind of encapsulates what you meant by that in terms of, yeah, it's funny that he's running over a kid's bike. But at the same time, it's kind of sad that he's running over a kid's bike. <laughs> he's like a 40 to 50 year old man yeah. having a beef with a 15 year old child. <laughs> yeah, I think the way like, yeah, I don't really hear it talked about as much as like compared to like his aesthetic or whatever. Wes Anderson's comedy is like, pretty absurd at a lot of points. And I think that really pairs well with to show like the extremes of those emotions and whatnot crazy shit happens like in a lot of his movies like weird stuff happens and but like goes to show like how these characters like actually operate and whatnot and so yeah the thought kind of fell apart but yeah it really like plays like a play you know like I mean Mm -hmm. obviously with the curtains opening for every month but the characters are really kind of larger than life and you really see every facet of their personality taken to the extreme especially in those montages but yeah that's interesting okay this is a side note this might not be this is not intelligible in any way but the curtains were every month what month did it end because were they was it supposed to signify a school year like a whole school year because the way I was pacing through it, I was like, okay, when are we going to hit like May or June? And it was just the, I was like, the I was like, okay, this pacing is going to be super weird because we just spent like 40 minutes in November. Yeah. <laughs> I think it ended in like January. Right? I remember seeing January. Okay. There's a scene, the scene right after Max is leaving Rosemary's, Miss Cross's house. Like in line with the whole curtain business, but her curtains are like the like the draw drawstring ones that like he left and then she like pulled a string and the curtains like went shut and I was like I see you I see you <laughs> I know what you're doing and the whole play motif was like it was I liked it it was good. What did you guys think of the opening scene? It would just be interesting for me to hear how what you thought of it like being the first it being the first time you saw it because this is the fourth time I've seen this movie so I was kind of (laughs) expecting the opening scene and loved it but I just want to hear your thoughts I thought we were watching I was watching Serious Man for a second I was just like oh this is not a Serious Man Serious Man's hella depressing in a way where I don't think this is um I I got like the Will Hunting vibes, like even though and they're probably like mm-hmm. a year apart, right? So like it's just like a smart kid trying to get I don't know the world to respect him, and like he he takes himself so seriously and he wants others to take him seriously because he's just like he thinks that growing part of growing up is like making those connections. But 
at the beginning, he thinks that those connections come from admiration rather than mutual respect, which I think, like, I, I thought that was pretty funny as well. Like, I'm just like, the whole, like, everybody's just like, uh, the, the particular joke of you won't have, you'll never pick up a math textbook ever again. It's <laughs> like, oh, then we'll become great at math. I, I-, I found that really enjoyable. Yeah, I didn't know where, I think I enjoyed, when I was first watching it, I was just like, the direction that I hopefully it does not go, it didn't go that way, where I was just like, you kind of continued that self-extreme self-righteousness without the self-reflection that I think is very inherent in Rushmore when you're watching the whole thing. But I think like that cut of like seeing that he was dreaming it the whole time and that's like his desire and he's actually just not that at all, Mm -hmm. I think was really smart into bringing that tone down into not being, because I think, I I haven't seen that many Wes Anderson films, but sometimes when I like think about his films, I'm like, why do they exist? (laughs) Sorry, no offense. (laughs) It's just like, why did he make that is kind of more of it? Not why do they exist? but it's like what this purpose does this serve on me for personally or in society in general and I felt so like when I was watching that there's like this artificiality pretentiousness kind of that's inherent because it's a dream so when I was first watching it it was just like oh, I hope it just does not continue in this tone whatsoever because I was just nervous I was nervous it could because it, Wes Anderson's so absurd and so I don't know I wouldn't say I don't I like I enjoy a lot of his films I or from the ones I've seen I've enjoyed them so it's not like I can say like I don't understand him or I don't really vibe well with him and his what he does but it was just like I can see Wes Anderson going in a really annoyingly pretentious tone that the it's set up in like the first two minutes but the way he undercuts that immediately yeah. by like it being a dream I was just like oh okay this is more interesting than yeah. what it could be which is that for that or which it what what I thought it would be which was mm-hmm. the first two minutes I don't know if anyone felt that way or not that's just my understanding of Wes Anderson, but I could be totally swayed once I see more of his work. But yeah, I definitely, that was my fear going in after the first two minutes. Yeah, and I think it does a really good thing because like, as you're talking, I just realized like the first like opening scene is just like telling you that he's kind of a failure. And so like everything he's doing to try to recapture what's in his head he's failing like, you're like, oh, okay. Like I, I understand where this kid is coming from. Like, if you just started off with him, like, being the president of everything and everything, and, like, you just, like, got into that, and then you're, like, and then you learn, like, oh, he's an academic failure, like, well, that's what you get, but, like, it's not really that, there's there's a much more empathetic tone when you set it up that first way that I really appreciate, and I think, like, sort of brought down those barriers, his aesthetic kind of being pretentious, almost, in a way. Yeah, he's much more relatable that way. So smoothly confident in a lot of the movies in the movie when he's like talking back to teachers and stuff like that and then i remember like when he gets expelled there's just that shot of jason jason schwartzman crying and i was like oh yeah i don't know he's like projecting an image that he wants to be true but deep down and especially with him like lying about his dad being a neurosurgeon yeah i think that was really telling as well of just the certain parts of Max Fisher's character, but he's like a, I don't know, a confused kid or like a teenager that we can all look at and be all like, yeah, that sucks, buddy, you know? 
Yeah. yeah, I think setting it up that way where you immediately get that undercut from the dream and then just it being like, oh, this, this kid wants all these things, but it doesn't, he can't achieve it. And and then after the speech where the, the Brian Cox, <laughs> which lol, <laughs> succession, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, tells Herman that uh, he's not the worst student. But it was just like said like one of the worst students we have. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he does yeah. say that. You just kind of see, oh, this boy perceives himself this way. What would would like to perceive himself that way? But like in reality, people do not perceive him that way. And I think there's like a self understanding with that dream, like with that dream being there, you kind of understand Max Fisher's character more of why he would have that dream. Like he wants it. He understands that people don't perceive him as a success, a success and er- therefore he dreams about it. I think it's it makes you side with him immediately because I feel like Max Fisher is not if I met a Max Fisher I would not like him <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> I wouldn't be his friend <laughs> I would yeah me neither so it's just like setting that up in the first five minutes so you can't the audience has an easier gateway into empathizing with him I think is a brilliant move I don't know this is just the vibe I get from Wes Anderson again but that might not be the be common I don't know <laughs> Rohan or Natalia. I I was just gonna say like it's really interesting because like as you're talking about sort of him and his confidence and his control like you sort of think back to how he got into Rushmore and he's a playwright and you think about how like he's sort of controlling his own narrative throughout the film and that's where like I think Natalia you said like it's autobiographical I don't know like from who's like thought autobiographical maybe you have more insight on that like whether it's like Wes Anderson or Owen Wilson like who that is from. Yeah, I think, well, from what I've read, it's kind of like half and half. It's some of Owen Wilson because he was expelled from his elite prep school or whatever in Texas. And then kind of Wes Anderson because Wes Anderson just wrote plays throughout his childhood. So kind of a merging of the two, but obviously semi-autobiographical. But yeah, there's definitely a huge meta narrative to it in terms of like a director's like understanding of what type of control they can have of course like projected onto like a 15 year old protagonist but still I think that's really interesting especially with kind of again the curtain motif of that we've already talked about a bit you guys want to talk about that more be happy to but like yeah even with the character being a playwright and I think just in general there's this huge desperation um that max fisher that i found relatable that was like my key into it all i i just loved what you've already mentioned it but it's just like i love melancholy mixed with like a sense of humanity in a way those are the movies i enjoy the most (laughs) and this definitely has that aspect to it but yeah the meta narrative is quite clear having watched Steve Sizzo, there's also that kind of dollhouse control aesthetic that he's going for. So perhaps something that's common in his work, I do not know. I've only seen three of his films. <laughs> so, but trying to understand what is a director's, like how much control that a director can have and like the challenges of what you can have and what you can give up has always been interesting. And I've always found it interesting when directors kind of project that crisis onto a screen for us to kind of understand. I also just want to say a very side note that Max's production value on all of his plays was amazing. Like put put me to school. I was just like, damn, like you're telling uh, me a public high school reconnection yeah. Vietnam War? I'm saying, yeah, that was better than Apocalypse Now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah i wonder if wes anderson also is like max's directing style you know it's like yo you fucked up don't fuck with my play (laughs) (laughs) true i mean yeah i mean it must not be his his ensemble keeps coming back so that's true (laughs) bill murray keeps coming back so yeah Yeah. and he kills it every time yeah (laughs) yeah Like Bill Murray and fucking Budweiser shorts. I was not expecting that, but <laughs> name again. I love that scene when he just jumps in the pool and stays the green out. Pool. And the kid, yeah. yeah, the green pool. Yeah, yeah, the pool is disgusting. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely disgusting pool. <laughs> Random Scottish kid was like really funny to me. Like it threw me off every single time he came on screen. And I was like, where are we? What are you doing here? Yeah, I, 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 I. I thought that, that Scottish kid was just the accent was always like amazing and like yeah <laughs> like it, like it, like it, for for a young kid especially like, I don't know if he's Scottish like in real life or not but if that was a fake accent I'm very very impressed but also like his insults were were very like <laughs> yeah. that 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 is that is what peak middle school insults look like. I also really appreciated that every every one of those kind of like minor characters were still pretty integral to the plot and they like layered on top of each other it I don't know it reminded me of like much do about nothing I don't know if you read that but it's very like this character can basically affect the entire plot by what he says you know they're like I'm thinking specifically of the scene where I think his name is Mangus or Magnus the Scottish kid is like Mm -hmm. telling Dirk about what Max told him and kind of the lies going on top of each other but yeah it just it didn't feel like those minor characters were minor it felt like they really belonged in the in the entire narrative I love how he gets recruited to be in the Vietnam play as well (laughs) I always wanted to be in your play (laughs) yeah no also like the level of uncomfy this movie is like at so many points I just wasn't expecting like like that theater scene where like he's it's uh Bill Murray and then Miss Cross and then like the guy she brought Luke Wilson, Luke Wilson yeah. Luke Wilson. gosh that yeah I was just like oh, that's so painful I think all the scenes with Miss Cross and Max are kind of uncomfy but like yeah in a set like purposely is supposed to be uncomfy uh-huh. so we know that we should not be cheering on this relationship yeah and you're just like I just every time he interacted with Mrs. Cross Miss Cross I, I was just like hitting my head being like oh no stop yeah, I understand I but stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is ugh. and she just keeps saying no and it's just it, <laughs> yeah definitely feel bad for her you know oh I felt, I felt so bad for <laughs> yeah. her yeah <laughs> That, that dinner scene with the four of them, I was just like, it was so uncomfortable. I could not stop laughing. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So uncomfortable. So you got him a whiskey Coke. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I think, I mean, that scene in particular, I think is like so good in just trying to understand that Max Fisher character of someone who, is another thing that I found kind of, what I grasped onto a lot was like the sense of a 15 year old kid for thinking he's an adult and has the capabilities of understanding the adult world in a way, but it's all kind of shrouded in this like really, I don't know if it's fast, facile is the right word, but this very childish pers- romantic perspective on what adulthood should be like. And you get you get that sense at the dinner scene, like in the dinner scene, it's almost like he's like playing like he just watched a movie about some mob man trying to take control of like mm-hmm. the situation of like trying to get his girl back or something. <laughs> the way he acts that out, it's just so over dramatic and 
over masculine in a way that feels so artificial you're just like oh this 15 year old kid definitely like reads too many books or watches too many movies because mm -hmm. of his like unrealistic expectations of what fighting or jealousy or flirting should be like and I think that scene in particular really encapsulates kind of the childish nature of Max Fisher and just kind of that really that want that I think a lot of teenagers have of like thinking that they are old they are the adults that they think they are but they're not they're not fully developed and I think Wes Anderson really explores that really well in that sequence and it's also yeah uncomfy and funny at the same time I love when he says these are our scrubs oh are they, <laughs> are they? <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because like that that sort of over masculinity is like in all the plays like he sees this like I, I just watched Serpico the the Lumet film so, oh, yeah and like a couple of days ago and so I, I like very just when I heard Serpico I'm like oh and then you like the apocalypse now maybe reference of the Vietnam mm -hmm. War, and then I forget what the first the first play he did. There are three plays that he did. I think I forget what the first one was that that was very brief. The gangs, like, the gangster one. Yeah, oh, yeah. the gangster they say one. The, the He's word, like, got something like, essay. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there's a very clear like through line of like the type of like '70s male cinema that <laughs> that like it, is clearly influencing all those films, and it's it, it sort of like reflects in his overconfidence and like. The the way he tries to perceive himself and make others perceive him as like a quote-unquote man I thought it was like I think that's pretty interesting oh yeah definitely definitely I just thought you mentioning that just yeah that totally you're totally yeah right. and I wonder like if there's also something to be said about like all the random like in 60s references like how like Max said something about like writing something about Watergate or something and then, like, yeah, Mr. Bloom had, like, gone and nom. Like, yeah, I was in the shit. <laughs> and, like, the final play being, like, of Vietnam. So, like, yeah. This is a side note. We already talked about the production value. But I just love how, like, the background in every one of his plays, there's, like, some element that moves in the background that's super mm -hmm. impressive. Whether it be the train or the plane. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, also... <laughs> That blocking in the final play really executed. Yeah. <laughs> really well executed. Yeah. I was so confused when he's like, there are safety goggles in here, mostly <laughs> under your chair. I'm like, what will you need that for? And then the guns start going off, and it's like, <laughs> this is great. Yeah, yeah, no, when Dirk went to like get the dynamite, I was like, what is happening? Oh, I love Dirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, like the intermission with Dirk. He's like, "There's, there's, there's not enough ketchup for the blood, and just like it's not gonna work." And I'm just like, "See, it's gonna work." Yeah. <laughs> what do we think about that relationship, Dirk and Max Fisher's? I just like on a visual level, just like Dirk looks so much tinier than Jason yeah. Schwartzman, who like for the longest time, Max Fisher for the longest time, I was so confused how old he was. I was like. Did you just like get held back a bunch? I know they say he's 15, but like before they said that, I was like, okay, he loves Rushmore. Is he like purposely like holding himself back? Is he like 22 or something? And then you see Dirk, who's like 10. He looks so tiny. He looks so small. So I just loved like on a visual level, kind of how, how much you understand kind of child dynamics of like that little kid looking up to the big kid and how not impressionable like children are um, in a certain sense and kind of the politics between children as well, I think. 
But yeah, what do you guys think about that relationship? For me, like I it kind of. Oh, you can go, Sam. Oh, I think just <laughs> Dirk sees Max for what Max wishes he was, and so I can. I honestly think Max keeps Dirk around, or he, uh, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but Max and Dirk get along so well because Dirk believes that Max is this really impressive, and he's like, Dirk is like doing all these things for him, and he's like so loyal, and that must be because he like, he believes in Max so much. Yeah, I mean like, I think it goes back to that idea also of like, Max at the start of the film things like connection comes through admiration and not like necessarily like an honest relationship and so like with like Dirk like Dirk's looking up to Max but then like his other connection is with Mr. Bloom and like Mr. Bloom seems like to me he was like what Max is going to turn out to be just like a really successful rich person that's still like a very like child inside of him like on the inside and like that's what he sees in him and so he's sort of I don't know maybe admiring himself like qualities of himself and Mr. Bloom so like I I, I I think that sort of is why I think that that relationship is really important and like by the end like it's not really about that anymore which is where the transformation yeah because like at first like the relationship yeah like the power dynamics is like very clear that like Dirk is like oh Max is cool like it, it's like pretty manipulative too like how Max like literally lied about what he said about Dirk's mom you know and then like towards the end you know as Max transforms like as a person you know really realizing and coming to terms with some of his insecurities like becomes more of a partnership where they're more open to each other so I think like that dynamic also goes to show like Max's development as a person and character. What about you Natalia? Yeah I mean Dirk. (laughs) Yeah I mean I mean, just as a character, he's just great. Like, he seems to be one of the most level-headed characters throughout the film. But he obviously has that really great admiration for Max. And it's just another kind of friendship dynamic that is interesting to explore. Like, just another facet of Max's various friendships. Yeah, I just love Dirk. I love his little what. I don't know, like wizard club or whatever, when they start throwing (laughs) rocks at Max when he comes, intruder, which again, just is another like element of like, yeah, we can say it's Wes Anderson's like absurdity or whatever, but it's also like children being children. It's just like another reminder that these are children who kind of think that they are adults, but they are not because, I mean, there are adults who dress up as wizards and throw rocks, but you know, for the most part, I don't think that happens. So yeah. Speaking of relationships, though, Rohan, you kind of mentioned how it's a good juxtaposition with the Bill Murray character. I feel like we haven't talked about his character enough because he's so central to the film itself. What do you guys think of Herman? I think his character provides like a weird levity into the film that I think is much needed. That, yeah, and that grounds it in a certain way into that kind of melancholic state just because he's so depressed and lonely. And it's like, okay, we can sympathize with a child, but there's kind of a relatability, I think, to the Bill Murray character or a fear um, that I feel when I watch that kind of loneliness that I find much more relatable rather than sympathetic. I don't know about how you guys. There's that scene where he checks into the hotel. And I laughed really, really hard when this happened, but he was like, he checks in and then the, the bellhop is like, how long will be you, how, how long will you be staying with us? And he's like, six weeks, my wife's suing me for d- divorce. <laughs> and the bellhop says, very good, sir. <laughs> I don't know. I think, uh, I, he was like, 
Herman was just like, I couldn't even like believe he was real sometimes because his sons are so ridiculous. <laughs> he is so ridiculous. He's like straight up like building an aquarium. Like the whole aquarium sequence was just like, I cannot believe this is happening. Which I guess is just the whole like Wes Anderson absurdity thing. I don't know. It's like how Great Gatsby like throws a throws a lavish party hoping that the one girl he likes will show up. It was like the same energy. Like he's like all sh all pomp and circumstance, but no substance. But I think I find that kind of execution like for me personally, because it for me, it's like all extravagance, no substance that reveals kind of like a hollowness and loneliness. I think that always works for me. I don't know why it just does. Like a film that's so extravagant in its mise-en-scene blocking any or props whatever and then but deep down like the person super hollow and lonely for some reason that always just oh yeah no extremely I'm a sucker gets for that. to me yeah I don't like, oh yeah <laughs> they're totally detached totally stuck yeah the Nui, you he, know he's so lonely that he's befriending this 15 year old who's like not even friends with his own kids <laughs> mm-hmm and I'm just yeah, like, yeah, like invites him also, to their birthday party. Yeah, that like also is like a red flag in my head. But I also just like, like you said, Bill Murray is like a child on the inside, maturity wise. So it's almost like I didn't click in my head that I was like, this is kind of weird. This adult man giving this child money when the child asks for it and stuff, and there's no like familial relationship, and it the child showing up at his birthday. He's like, I need thirty five thousand. And Bill Murray's like, I'll give you two and twenty five hundred. I was like, Bill Murray, don't you have better things to do? And the answer is no. Not at all. I yeah. couldn't believe this guy was real. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, yeah. well, one of the reasons that he's so drawn to Max is because just the sheer ambition Max shows and just like his unique look on life that I think you could argue maybe that Bill Murray's character is kind of disillusioned with life at this point. He's just you know, his wife is likely having an affair with the tennis coach or something. His sons, you know, are completely, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So he's in Max, I guess he kind of sees some sort of hope. I'm not sure hope for what, but just some sort of spark in Max that he wants to fuel, you know, as much as he can. So that's why he offers him the job at his factory and he funds his, um, I don't, yeah, he funds the first attempt at the aquarium. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, we already touched on it, but yeah, in a lot of ways, like, their characters, like, mirror each other in a lot of ways, and yeah, so I think, like, as much as it was, like, coming of age for Max, I think, like, similarly, it was for Mr. Bloom, like, as much as he was depressed, like, he wasn't happy in that marriage, and then he got divorced, and maybe he's still listless at the end of the film, but, like, at least he's sort of liberated in some fashion, and, like, he got to dance with Margaret, exactly, so, (laughs) so, yeah, I mean, it's it's cute in that aspect, you know. What did you think of, like, his relationship with the teacher? I feel like there is so much potential for that Miss Cross character. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like more could be said. They kind of, like, hint at, like, a backstory of her deceased husband. And then it just kind of gets dropped as more of a barrier for Herman rather than anything for her. Yeah, I think the... Like, like one thing I would say, though, I think it they kind of handle it well because they're really sad, like, you know, tragic elements of the story, especially with Max's mom and then her late husband who drowned, which is, you know, obviously <laughs> tragic. But I think that they 
I don't I like that they don't spend a lot of time on it because I think so much comes through just from her character and the fact that she's at Rushmore and she's in her you know late husband's house and in his bed like that's kind of at least for me it was tragic enough like I just felt for her so much through you know through things that were unsaid but were so clear through just the set of the scene Mm -hmm. so I I felt like it was a good balance but I just I mean her character is definitely not as explored as um, Max's or Bill Murray's you know Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I think the one time I remember it being brought up was like the moment between her and Max when he's in uh, her bedroom or the, the house in the, where she lived. And, you know, they, they sort of talk and it's just like, how how, how did it, it was Edward? How did Edward die? And she like, was up and then like my mom died from, I think it was cancer. And yeah. it's just like, it's like the moment he real like it's a moment of like connection almost. Uh, it, it, it's not brought up a lot. I agree. And, I think it would have been a different movie, but I, I think like there's there's a lot to be said there. I wonder if he just maybe let mm-hmm. the film go on longer because I feel like there is like a certain loneliness and tr- sadness that her character does in you as well that I think would go well with kind of everything that is going on as well. I don't know. I just thought about that right now. Like I think it wouldn't have hurt it. Yeah, I don't think it hurts it to be to kind of have it be that way right now but it wouldn't have hurt if they expanded it a little more because I think she has kind of the same pathos as both Max Fisher and Berman's character wow names I'm trying to be better (laughs) I remember like for the longest time when I used to do these things I would just say and this actor's character and this actor's (laughs) character and I was like I need to remember these people's names yeah thank you she like also has that like pent up like sort of like again listen business because like yeah it's like almost like all the characters in the film are like searching something to like sort of dedicate their lives towards like they're all looking for their own like Rushmore or whatever but like yeah so I guess yeah in some ways that yeah it would work if it was just expanded I don't know I feel like I always feel that way towards female characters so it's just like oh I wish a little more yeah I guess I'm looking at it as kind of the tragic and comedic elements of the story so like I'm kind of comparing it to how they handled um, Max's mother's death so they kind of they didn't really spend a lot of time on it but it was definitely like a prevalent element throughout the story like their house is right next to the graveyard so and then there's that scene where he visits um, her grave so I don't know I just kind of felt like it was well balanced in that way but in terms of character development I can definitely see Mm -hmm. what you're saying you know yeah, and or you could like just interpret it as like they found each other and like that was their like sort of like realization of like maybe sometimes you don't have to dedicate your life to one sole thing. Maybe like people are cool too. I don't know. <laughs> people are cool. That is yeah. the new motto. People are cool. <laughs> On like the um, topic of female characters, I guess I love Margaret Yang too. Oh yes, I do um, want to talk about her. Yeah, especially there's this one. I mean, it's just another kind of like realistic undercut of the story where near the end of the movie, she comes to Max and he's like, "Oh, congratulations on your you know science project." I heard the Navy bought the rights to it or something. She's like, "Oh no, I that fell through." And he's like, "Why?" And she's like, "Well, it didn't work, so I faked the results." And it's just such a kind of undercut of everything I thought she was. But it really brings, it, she just becomes more relatable that way. And it's just a much more grounded, grounded character. But I love 
like how Wes Anderson uses her as kind of this like it's so clear that she likes Max Fisher from like the very beginning but and she's like the equivalent of him in a way Mm -hmm. like there is this yearning to be good and great at what at everything that they both have but isn't like they just can't achieve I feel like I mean obviously I think Anderson does trick us into believing that she is capable of it like with the science fair and stuff and there's another element why am I not forget remembering is it the play no that was after they recon- reconciled right but anyways I just like how she's kind of this constant presence of reminding us that how tunnel vision um, Max Fisher's character is in terms Mm -hmm. of he only sees one thing and kind of has this obsessive mindset that is not conducive and is not is more arrogant than healthy (laughs) yeah it's it's not ambition it's more of um, like obsession (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. ignorance um yeah kind of thing that um yeah that's why I just love her character there because she's her you know if you juxtapose her with Mrs. Cross I mean she's actually his age yeah like they are more relatable on a level on a certain level than who who he desires and yeah I just like how she kind of just shows up yeah every once in a while like when she comes up with the plane anyone else margaret character speaking about their science fair projects again and like margaret's looked super cool and max fisher had this thing on tidal waves he had this like really (laughs) he had a really cool like model of a tidal wave and then his like his trifold had like two pieces of paper on it and i was like that's such a max thing I've never done a science fair so i don't even know what to expect i never had those growing up really it was yeah. stressful. Really? Did you do one? Yeah. What did you do? I got, uh, so I got like a lot of shit for it because. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now you have to tell us. My dad has, my dad, where my dad works, he has like a big ass fucking printer that it's like, you can do like industrial size stuff, mm. like really nice, you know, like a big Kodak printer. Every other student, you know, like drew on their cardboard <laughs> or whatnot, you know, like an elementary student should probably do so like what i did was kind of like besides the point i like it was basically just showing like how echoing works or something so i built like this big ass tunnel but i had my dad like take pictures and then like print it out to put on the cardboard thingy so like all the other parents because it was like an after school thing we did it like all the other parents like huh look at that one he totally looks like he did that all on his own so all these fucking people were salty as hell after me like winning number one and getting an a so yeah if any of those kids parents are listening fuck you yeah i made it you know from this podcast (laughs) yes um those people will definitely be listening for sure yeah but yeah so yeah that was it and it took like but it still took a long time all right it's a lot of physical labor I did most of it. Well, you got first place. Yeah, I mean, nice. like, deservedly so. I believe yeah, it yeah. out of the water. You know? <laughs> <laughs> On echoing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was also extremely educational. So I would say the first Wait, place was warranted. What grade was this? Fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a like ego booster. I feel like it's like when 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 you were like a kid when they like split people off to like gifted shit and stuff yeah is that the same effect it really was <laughs> yeah was, yeah nothing to it really you know now you're here talking about rushmore so 
Exactly. I don't know if that was an upgrade or a downgrade. <laughs> I feel yeah. like it's an upgrade. Upgrade, yeah. Upgrade, yeah. No. yeah upgrade. No, I, I peaked in fourth grade. You know, it's been, <laughs> it's been a good ride. Yeah. How can we? How can we make a smooth transition out of that? Yeah, because, because, yeah, because Max isn't gonna peak in high school. Oh my god! You know, oh he god. turned his oh life god. around. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> hey, I tried. You know, my dad's not here to help, so <laughs> can't print out cue cards for you. Yeah. Um, but there is actually something I was kind of interested in because, like, again, I will admit, like a million times over again, I Wes Anderson is not someone I am too knowledgeable in. Can someone explain to me Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson <laughs> and their really? together? Oh, yeah. Because oh, I yeah. feel like I've yeah. known them as separate entities. You know, yeah. like I've known Owen Wilson as, there, or my first impression of him was Lightning McQueen and Marley <laughs> and me, main guy. <laughs> and then my first impression of Les Anderson, I, I talked about it a little bit off, but it was like bougie H&M commercial aesthetic guy. So like when I started getting into film and I was like, oh, they have a huge history together. It made no sense to me. So if someone could explain it to me. Yeah, I think they, so from what I know, they went to University of Houston together. So they were kind of like college buddies. And so Wes Anderson was good friends with pretty much all the Wilson brothers. And so they um, were writing together already and they were working on Bottle Rocket. But they actually, I think, wrote the script for Rushmore before Bottle Rocket. But they did Bottle Rocket first together and then they did Rushmore and then they kind of just were friends from college and they kept writing stuff together. And obviously they had their own projects, but they like started together pretty much. Yeah. Then they like took the script together to like Sundance or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Their energies just don't seem to match. Um, again, I haven't seen like Ronald Tenenbaum's or Bottle Rocket, but their energies don't seem Oh, Owen Wilson like I... definitely slots in like perfectly. In Royal yeah. Tenenbaums. Really? Okay. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. No, Royal Tenenbaums. I feel like like earlier Wes Anderson like is like not as heavy on the aesthetic, so maybe more accessible for other people. And then, yeah, I feel like those earlier stories were like more grounded. Like Royal yeah. Tenenbaums. It's not even like, like the aesthetic, like the absurdity of Wes Anderson. I I mean I guess I've always I don't know much too much about Owen Wilson, but he always seems like not absurd comedy, but like broy comedy. And Wes Anderson is not a broy director, and so I guess for me those energies never made sense. But I, I guess I'll have to watch Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, do recommend. <laughs> Yeah. You know? yeah, he improves on his needle drops in that one as well. I would argue. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Did you enjoy the soundtrack on this one? Or I mean, definitely Royal Tenenbaums has a great soundtrack, but I felt like Rushmore. Oh yeah, oh, also yeah. very solid. You know, yeah. through and some kinks, of, some John yeah. Lennon. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. Moment. Yeah. 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 No. Well, well, good Wes Anderson needle yeah. drop. You know. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think <laughs> Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson both had their film debuts in Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Why is my impression of Owen Wilson so shot in a different direction? I mean, they definitely, like, sort of, you know, it's the... Yeah. The, the, like, after Royal of Tannen Bombs, they went in kind of different directions. Yeah. Yeah. How but I'm they... like, I think Owen Wilson has been in the majority of Wes Anderson movies, even as, like, kind of a side character. I guess mostly as a side character, but... Isn't Bill Murray the most... Yeah, Bill well, Murray's, Bill Murray is in yeah. a lot of them too. That but one like, makes sense to me. Yeah. 
on a mm -hmm. very tonal level, but Owen Wilson. Yeah, Owen, when was Owen Wilson in Grand Budapest? He, he played like one of the concierge people or something. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know. I guess my, being like literally my first impression of him is fucking cars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a different. That just gets like a different vibe. It's Night of the Museum for me. Oh yeah, no, that was associate Owen Wilson with mine. Mine is mine is the internship with Vince Vaughn. Like oh, I oh, yes. and Wedding Crashers. Oh, wedding yeah. Crashers. With Vince Vaughn. Yeah, it's a Vince Vaughn duo. Yeah, like, he's that like I... synonymous to Vince Vaughn more than Wes Anderson for me mm -hmm. for like the longest. Yeah, and, and these little fuckers. Movies. Yeah. Oh my god. That trilogy. I never watched it, but I would always see ads on it at the mall whenever I went for some reason. And then I would laugh to my brother and be like, get it, little fuckers. It sounds like fuckers. That's <laughs> like, like the like whole 14. fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, never watched it. Like De Niro produced that. Like, <laughs> like the fucking like the big joke is that yeah, the Ben Stiller's name's Gaylord Fokker. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I like watched those movies when I was younger with my parents, and my dad thinks it's like so funny. Like Little Fockers is like my dad's brand of humor. He thinks it's so funny. And yeah, yeah anyway, so I'm there's he's in the Little Fockers, which is a trilogy. There's three movies in that <laughs> series. Oh my god! Yeah, it's meet. I think it's meet the parents, Little Fockers, and then something. I don't know or lip. Meet the parents, meet the Fockers, and then Little Fockers, I think is really good. There's three. Oh There's my definitely God. I'm looking at it right now. Am it I right? Stars. Yes, you are definitely right. It's Meet the Parents, <laughs> Meet the Fockers, and Little Fockers. And the people in it, yeah, De Niro, you have Owen Wilson, you have Dustin Hoffman, Stiller, Barbara Streisand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, De Niro <laughs> uses pole in a really strange way during the 2000s so yeah that's wild i cannot believe de niro is in those movies i remember when i was making a games of phone call question i was like i can't believe de niro is like in one of those like holiday movies like the ones where it's like new year's eve valentine's day like that energy films he's in quite a bit of those and i was just like what the hell i guess even old people have to have a little fun every now and then yeah but like it's been fun since like casino and then like <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like casino robert de niro weird comedies that don't really work and then the irishman and like those are the two bookends for me but now he's in the new scorsese movie so maybe he's he's returning hopefully back he's recognizable unlike leonardo dicaprio who's unrecognizable apparently yeah the part of hair it doesn't make sense yeah okay i think my final project um in my computer vision class i'm gonna train like a neural network to recognize leonardo dicaprio <laughs> we're gonna capitalize on that meme yeah and then you have to send me the results so i can make the meme on my twitter like a month later months too late <laughs> hey some twitter never forgets you know that's true sadly good god from twitter is disgusting don't engage don't actively just like stay afar from it well, yes. Back to Rushmore. Better than Meet the Fockers. By a large amount. Yeah. I have not seen the Meet the Fockers, so I can't Don't recommend. say. Highly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I trust your judgment, Joel. Yeah. Thank you. This is why I also forgot that Jason Schwartzman was part of that Coppola ring, you know? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, too. He, that's probably how he got the role, right? 
Like it has to be, right? Mm. For Rushmore? Yeah. Um, I think they like auditioned like something like eighteen hundred students or eighteen hundred okay, kids. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, on the Wikipedia it says, yeah, a month before uh, principal photography was to start after like they'd been doing all that casting. And then casting director for the film met Schwartzman thanks to Sofia Coppola. Met him at a party. So again, Perfect. 17 at a, at a Hollywood party. Kind of. It's wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You're right about that. But he still, well, yeah, he still had to audition because he showed up with a prep school blazer and a rush one patch. Yeah. He made himself. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wait, was that his stuff. film debut? Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, so. Yeah. Nice. 18 when he did that. I have to oh, double check. I was like, I was like, I was like, I swore Jason Schwartzman was like way older than like he looked at like based off of like I had to double yeah. check. Yes, he looks so much older. I already, I think I already talked about it. I thought he, the, he like they were trying to play like a joke off like how he got like held back like thirty times or whatever, and he's like a twenty five year old kid in high school. But no, he's around fifteen when he. Yeah. But yeah, I think I don't know his filmography that well i'm pretty sure like if he showed up i'd be like oh my god it's jason schwartzman i like the only memorable thing he is for me other than Wes anderson films is mary antoinette mm-hmm. um which he's really good in but it's interesting that he wasn't typecasted i feel like i could totally see him getting typecasted as this particular role of like uptight kid but i think again it just goes to show just how well anderson kind of executes like the narrative of like he's more than an uptight kid without being like schlocky it's very understated and subtle yeah yeah i still think that i still am trying to understand wes anderson and like why his films do exist (laughs) (laughs) and i feel like that's really mean to say but i don't know what was the other one that you watched with this one i've seen life aquatic which i don't think was like a good <laughs> entry oh my first one i think was isle of dogs though mm-hmm. and that one had its own controversy so like he already kind of was like my first impression of him like my first film of his was just tainted with that so i guess that didn't help i think if you watch royal tenenbaums that'll kind of i mean it's just like his films progress in a very kind of logical way i think he just mm-hmm. kind of amps up the aesthetic I mean, the stories yeah. are still great, but like, it, like you know, it started with Bottle Rocket and then Rushmore and then I can't remember if Life Aquatic or Royal Tenenbaums was... I think Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums. Tenenbaums. Yeah. yeah. And then I think Life Aquatic and then Grand Budapest. And then I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is somewhere in there, maybe in between. Yeah, I think I, I think it, I think it's Darjeeling after Life. Oh yeah, Aquatic. Darjeeling. Yeah. Then it's Fantastic, and then it's Moonrise. Oh yeah. Grand Budapest, and then Isle of Dogs. Yeah. 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 Moonrise Kingdom is oh. really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch. That. Yeah. Moonrise Kingdom also probably, yeah, I'd say like probably the most relatable or Rushmore just in terms of like the child narrative and like mm-hmm. makes him very human. And yeah. Not that. just minimized into something smaller. Like again, you're like completely validated and have that agency. So, but yeah, I think Tenon Bombs is like definitely like a good balance for like his style is like pretty much like i mean like really polished like not quite like it's full form yet i guess Mm -hmm. like it's not overly like in your face about like constantly being symmetrical or whatever but like also i think it's like a very great 
drama narrative in terms of like portraying like family structure and whatnot. So like, yeah, I guess to like argue for Wes Anderson's existence. Yeah, I think like they're- like, Tell me more, Joel. Yeah, I think like his films, like even if they are like very heavy on the aesthetic, like they, and like the characters and the scripts are very like punchy. I think they do still like serve a lot to show like yeah. connections and whatnot. So yeah. Luke Wilson is awesome in the Royal Tenenbaums. I yeah, like insanely good. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Again, first impressions, horrible. Isn't there's Luke Elliot Wilson? Smith in it, Cynthia. Yeah. So, I mean, just saying. You know. The best scene <laughs> of the movie is with Elliot Smith. Yeah. Fuck. So again, the needle drops, they're, they're insanely yeah. good. You know, the needle drops alone, I think. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, yeah, that's my sell. I feel like I should like his films. I don't know if you it could you could relate them together, but like I feel like a lot of people find Wes Anderson pretentious because like he's quirky, like his Mm -hmm. aesthetic is quirky. But I like Charlie Kaufman, and that's like his biggest. A lot of people complain about him, but like I'm a big Charlie Kaufman defender. So like I yeah. feel like I should like Wes Anderson. I, mean, I think I you will like just Rushmore, with more films. But yeah. at the same time, part of me is still just like, huh? Why? Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom. Those are like my big two recommends. Grand Budapest is definitely like off-putting if like you're not like if you get overwhelmed by these. Uh, I think I'll like anything Sersha's in. So yeah, and Sersha like not like heavily in that film but when she uh, is uh, yeah i um, just am oh i always see the picture of her like focus oh yeah with the, yeah 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 that one's great that's pretty mm-hmm. and that one's pretty so yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but does anyone have anything i think we're done at this for an hour which doesn't feel like solid. it so that's solid yeah does anyone have anything else we want to say about rushmore any hot takes before we end today uh-huh. watch it recommend yeah yeah do recommend you know is that a hot take i hope not if you want to see like the start of like you know let's say this progression in relationship with bill murray you know also big sell yeah i mean if bill murray was so moved to like read this script and then be like, yeah i'm gonna work for like a small amount of money then like you should at least watch it because it's only an hour and a half so bill murray is so good in this i think he's like just incredible incredible in this movie I think I mean he always plays kind of depressed sad white guy really well in his later works but I think it just he balances it well in this film he has such grace about it you know he's not just despondent he's like yeah sucks but so yeah yeah (laughs) it sucks but (laughs) so shout out Bill Murray what a fantastic human yeah Yeah. he's so like I, I think like my first impression after watching it was like holy crap he's so good in this but yeah does anyone else have anything else to say about Rushmore nah shout out Bill Murray and Wes Anderson yeah. and everybody else involved in the making of this film and we're <laughs> excited for French Dispatch because most yeah. probably we'll see it we'll get to see it in theaters which is super cool because I it's still coming out this year yeah oh, it is god yes. that's so exciting yeah we were just we talked about that when you were late um oh, hey yeah fashionably okay fashionably mm-hmm. apparently the french dispatch according to google says it's released in slovakia in january well get it to slovakia Alrighty. so we need to go to slovakia 
Slovak. Slovakia and the EU? Mm, Probably not. No. East Europe is iffy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as as far as possibly being part of the EU. It is part of the EU as of May first, two thousand four. Right. So you say okay, first May. Okay. So there was wow. that 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 um there they said that we could possibly um travel to the EU countries. That is um, true. This summer for vaccinated. So we're going to Slovakia, guys. Yeah. I mean, you're... I mean, what, what we should try to do is break in the con first, and if that oh, fails, true. run true. from France and go to Slovakia, and then like go see it. Cool. We okay, got some guys, plans. We, we got some plans. Yep. We got yeah. summer plans. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, once we get vaccinated, everyone's vaccinated. We'll, we'll go. <laughs> 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 all right um i will wrap things up now um but yeah that was us talking about rushmore if you agree or disagree you can go yell at us in the void or on our multiple social media accounts yeah you can if you agree or disagree with us or you just want to catch up on um our weekly screenings um you can follow us on instagram at film club you dub and twitter at film club you dub um and then you can or follow us on Facebook, but who uses Facebook? But I don't know. You can if you want to. Um, <laughs> the Film Club. Um, you can check out more of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play. Um, I can't say the normal thing that everyone else says, where or it's like wherever you get your podcasts, because no, it's only those four places. Yeah. But yeah, you can check us out there. Apple Podcasts is the best, though. So just gonna shout that out and yeah that is it for us this week who knows if there'll be an episode next week we do have quite a bit of backlog that needs to be edited by me that's not i don't know when that's gonna happen but it should happen but yeah other than that um thanks for listening and hope to not see you hope maybe probably not though yeah yeah hope you guys yeah okay how do i end this see you next time oh that's see you next time we can see them yeah yeah hear us next time Uh, hear us next time as we talk about who knows what but it should be fun godspeed god bless bless. all right